Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg Sound Off. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg Sound Off. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We made it to Friday, folks. Happy, happy Friday. The Trump campaign is in full 2020 mode, and we will give you the latest on how they're going after Joe Biden and the media. You don't want to miss this. Plus, Tulsi Gabbard's on a Twitter back and forth with Hillary Clinton, daring Hillary Clinton to get back into the race. But the big story that we're keeping our eye on is, of course, that ceasefire with Turkey and Syria. President Trump declaring victory, but will the five or six day ceasefire last? Full analysis on that front. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo talking once again about the growing situation in Syria. Two regulars, two friends of the program, two all-stars. Sari Kim, Republican strategist, attorney, and former senior advisor in the Trump administration. And Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama aide, and principal of New Day Strategy. Folks, they don't agree on much, but they agree there's nowhere else they'd rather be on a Friday at 5 than on Bloomberg Radio. It's true. Full (laughs) consensus. So true. Bipartisan all the way. Uh, What a week, Christine Barada. It's like a voice vote. It's (laughs) It's like a voice vote. Put that in the intro. Christine Barada, our executive producer, uh, said it's like going to be the greatest hits today because it was such a crazy week. Marathon Mick. Mulvaney, that, that press conference yesterday. And the, the sun's still up. I, mean, I don't know what be... was longer. Oh, what was longer, the Democratic debate or Mick Mulvaney's press conference? Democratic debate, 100%. This is assuming either of them have actually ended. It's completely possible that they're still prattling on out there. Oh, my word. Oh, so much to get there. Hey, and the Nats are in the World Series, so there's 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 all Incredible. that. It was a, a week. They used to have that segment on one of the networks where they said the week that was. Remember that? Um, all right, let's start with Syria because, uh, you know, President Trump was speaking uh, about this. Obviously, the, the big news is this ceasefire, this five-day ceasefire that President Trump had gotten Turkey President Erdogan to agree to with Syria uh, and with the Kurds. Uh, the president, obviously, with that recent decision to withdraw troops from northern Syria, prompted swift pushback from not just Democrats, not just Kurdish allies, but Republicans. But he ended the week with praise from Senator Lindsey Graham, one of his most ardent critics of this policy, 
saying that he was hopeful uh, that this ceasefire would would uh, would be positive. So I'll, I'll play for you, uh, Roger, a bit of President Trump talking about uh, Syria earlier today and saying that he's doing a better job than Obama. Here he is. There are no shots being fired, and a lot of people are doing a lot of things. This is a deal that should have been made 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Uh, over the last number of years under the Obama administration. The real number is over a million people were killed. Uh, we have lost no, not a drop of blood. So you're a longtime Obama uh, aide uh, and, and very familiar, can't, obviously, with uh, former Secretary of State Kerry. So when you hear that and you hear the pushback of the Schumer-Pelosi meeting ending awry earlier this week, and the president saying that this ceasefire is indicative of his leadership, his ability to get a deal. You say what? Well, first off, thanks so much for having me, and it's great to be here with Sari. Um, you know, I, I had one bone of contention with President Obama because he always would say, wow, the Kurds were so helpful at Normandy. And I would say, no, sir, you're wrong. No, sir, you're wrong. And finally, we have a president that is willing to point out that Kurdistan did not help in World War II. I mean, it is, joking aside, it's, 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 it's a week full of tremendous gravity in many ways. Um, this country, especially since World War II, has a very nasty habit of tossing aside um, stateless people who help us in conflicts. And specifically, I think of the Hmong in the Vietnam War, who, very similar to the Kurds, served as translators, on the ground support staff, et cetera, and were promised citizenship and all the other things that um, happened in this situation, and were cast aside. And the idea that, because he's been trying, you know, roughly a, a message a day throughout the week, that he would even float the idea that the Kurds are, quote-unquote, worse than ISIS, is tremendously insulting and it's not even honest which for the most part you know I don't necessarily expect anymore so it's been an insane week he hasn't portrayed this accurately a single time that he's addressed it it's the classic incoherence of him operating in a vacuum not consulting anyone because he alone can fix all this stuff and again he's you know the volunteer firefighter who also turns out to be the arsonist Sari I see you shaking your head no I want to I want to get your response but I also want to I also want to just alert people of what Secretary of State Mike Pompeo had to say earlier today because he had a press conference earlier today with NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg and there were some reports that maybe Turkey might have actually broken the ceasefire in northern Syria and he answered that question directly head on when he was asked about it. Here's the Secretary of State. There, there was some uh, activity today, but we also saw some very positive activity, the beginnings of the coordination that will be required. The reason this couldn't happen instantaneously is there was a great deal of coordination that had to take place. Well, I would say three things. First and foremost, we have to contextualize the fact that Syria and Turkey have been in internecine conflict since 1978. This is not an issue that one administration can fix. Two, if you look at what an administration does, we have to really look at President Obama and what he did in 2011 and 2014. My friend Roger, who I am so happy is here today, we have great intellectual conversations, but the debate here stands that when President Obama put a red line out there and he refused to go 
and enforce it. Then he decides a couple of months later to actually go into Syria, and American troops have been there since 2014. It feeds into this larger narrative that you cannot place American troops in endless wars. It's just not possible. So that was something he ran on, and, and it's it's something that I think if you no matter who's running. And you're actually you heard it from Senator Elizabeth Warren in the debate earlier this week when she said she didn't want to keep needless uh, troops in, in the Middle East. And she was pushed back on it aggressively by the Biden campaign. But let me ask you a follow up just from from your conversations with Republicans, Sari, because, you know, every Republican on Capitol Hill. What do you how is the divide being ha- or how what is it like with this open disagreement amongst the Republican Party about the way the president has handled Syria how how is that conversation impacting the the zeitgeist, for lack of a better word, in Washington, D.C.? So I would say that when it comes to elected Republican officials in Congress right now, it is like you go back to December 2015. You're either old guard Republican, hawk Republican, loser Republican, wow. internecine war Republican, or you're with the Trump administration, the Trump team, and this idea that endless wars are so nonsense. So you think this has been a no- – wow, you're comparing this to December 2015. Yes, so you're either with this because new- he hasn't lost support on impeachment, but you're saying this foreign policy is a new political red line. It's a new political wow. red line. You're either for the United States pulling back out of these endless wars, because let's just ask a basic question, irrespective of party. What is success in Syria? What is success in Iraq? What is success in Afghanistan? I've read all the congressional research reports, all the congressional budget reports. Why did we kill, essentially, and put in harm's way hundreds of thousands of lives and spend $1.15 trillion in Afghanistan and Iraq for what? What have we gained? It's almost as if, Roger, we got last question for this segment. It's almost as if he's daring the Democrats, daring Joe Biden to say, you want to argue in, in your primary to keep troops in Syria? Go for it. Have that debate. Is, I mean, is that is that a potential or the, it's tough to, to cover foreign policy through domestic political <clears throat> lens. But I mean, you can't do it in a vacuum, Roger. I mean, I, I, the current occupant is for the most part opaque to me. I, I don't subscribe um, a strategy or a framework or a philosophy to it. I think for the most part, it's just kind of ricocheting around grievance and conspiracy. Whatever happened to have been you know, discussed on Fox and Friends that morning and things like that. I don't think, and and separate from my little jabs, I don't think he wakes up in the morning with a coherent worldview. It's more just situational reactions. And for example, Sarah's points on this, some of which I agree with, would be more consistent if in the same week he wasn't sending, or at least announcing that he's sending 2,000 troops to Saudi Arabia, which essentially pulls the plug at the bottom of the bathtub of any of the other principles that he lays out for his other actions. He's literally willing to pour troops into one Middle East situation and then say that he wants to withdraw from another one based on some philosophy that I guess is quite circumstantial. But at a certain point, don't you need a strategic realignment in the Middle East? I mean, at this point, you you take out 1,000 troops in Syria, you put 2,000 in Saudi Arabia because you understand what China and Russia is doing as it relates to Iran. I mean, we have to consider the fact that Turkey imports less than 19 percent 
of their oil from those countries. All right, coming up, much more with the panel of political all-stars. I don't know who has better uh, uh, the, like wordplay. Is it Antoine Seawright, another friend of the program, or Roger Fisk? <laughs> Roger like, Fisk all the way. Who's Antoine Seawright? Oh, Paging Antoine. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cerilli, and I'm not trying to get in the middle of Roger and Antoine. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Happy Friday, folks. I'm joined by two regulars, Sari Kim, Republican strategist, attorney, and former senior advisor in the Trump administration, and Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist and longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. Uh, Sari, you're a Texas politico, in, a, in addition to being a very savvy Republican operative here inside of the Beltway. Uh, Rick Perry's out. A Secretary of State, our very own Jen Jacobs, scooped, and he's named, or President Trump has named the replacement. What do you make of the replacement? Um, I actually think it's really interesting that now we have four cabinet secretaries that were former deputies, but also four former lobbyists. I think it's quite interesting that presidential personnel and the president has made that type of decision. I would have picked somebody different. Jim Brouillette. Yeah. Uh, just for folks who don't know. I don't I don't have anything to say against him. I'm just saying that when you're running a reelection campaign, the strategy should be to pick somebody who is kind of outside the bubble. But if you're looking for an operator and your top boss makes all the decisions anyway, you just need people who know the uh, department, which is what Dan does. But let me say he's about currently. So I just want to catch people in case you're in your car and you're waiting for more. He's the dep- he's the current deputy secretary of energy. So now he's going to be. Well, he's been nominated by President Trump uh, to be the, the top to replace to replace Perry. He served in the Army. Uh, you know, he was also the staff director for the House Energy and Commerce Committee for Republicans. Uh, so he's very familiar with Washington, with Congress, military, and he's again, the number two at the energy department. So it's not much of a shakeup. Yeah, it's not much of a shakeup at all. So again, if you just need an operator because Trump makes all the decisions anyway, it's totally fine. But for my former governor, Governor Rick Perry, I have absolutely no idea why he quit the best job in politics. The governor of Texas has all the glory, has all the glory, and the lieutenant governor literally does all the work. No Uh, offense, I thought you were going to say, (laughs) I thought she was going to say, Roger, that she didn't know why he was stepping down. There's There's a lot of questions surrounding Secretary Perry's departure. Uh, especially the questions as it relates to the Ukraine impeachment and his communique with uh, Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney. I want to play for you, Roger, and then Siri will get you in as well. Uh, But I want to play for you what Secretary Perry, outgoing Secretary Perry, said today earlier on Fox News, because yesterday Mick Mulvaney gave this press conference and really said that, and really he like said in, in Lehman's terms, that President Trump withheld military aid to Ukraine in an effort to force Kiev to investigate the DNC and the 2016 election. Then DOJ released a statement saying that's not what happened. And he didn't say there was quid pro quo, but it it felt very rushed. It it felt like he was, I don't know. And I mean, it, it just, it felt like it was in contrast with everything that every other administration official was saying. So here's what Secretary Perry said earlier today on Fox News. 
there was no quid pro quo in the sense of what those folks out there would like for it to be, that we're going to give you this money unless you go investigate uh, Joe Biden and his son. I never heard that said anywhere, anytime, in any conversation. I, you know, it's, it's funny when these phrases get, you know, hammered home so often. I mean, the the obedience of the Trump organization is such that you could have a document or a, or a recording of one of these characters saying, now here's the quid pro quo. And then they would still get up the next day and the Kaylee McEnany's and the Jim Jordans of the world would be like, there was no quid pro quo, even though they said quid pro quo. So it's it's much more a meme. It's much more something that they like to repeat than it has any kind of operational relationship with reality. This is why the Trump voters and I think the larger audience in general are so frustrated with Washington, D.C. If a political official uh, associated with President Trump doesn't answer a reporter's question precisely, then they're lit up for all the nuances. But Adam Schiff can go on record 400 times and say that there was legit evidence of collusion between President Trump and Russia 400 times, and he doesn't get lit up at all. I think this is the problem. It actually takes you longer to check out your groceries at Whole Foods, which I call Whole Page than it does to read the transcript, to read the transcript of the whistleblower complaint. And what you find is that there was nothing even remotely close to President Trump and the Ukrainian president saying that. It just isn't there. Look, it's it's unfortunate. I'd rather not have heard you say that because... If I if I'm if I'm dangling two hundred million dollars over you, right? I don't have to say you do this and you get the two hundred million dollars. If I say something like, "Wow, it'd be really nice if someone were cut my lawn," then you just—I mean, it doesn't have to be spelled out this way. And as as you probably know, because I believe you're a lawyer, uh, the intent uh, is enough uh, for a, for a high crime. The 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 desire, the appetite, the designs. To achieve something like that, which I think are roughly borne out by the text amongst the diplomats and stuff. So are you ever going to find a recording that says quid pro quo? No. But the data points, which are now up into the upper single digits, there's eight and nine and ten people that are chiming in on this. I think that the, the no quid pro quo thing is a sinking ship. And it's already uh, um, significantly diminished from where it was four or five days I mean, ago as a talking point. If, I, 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 w- I wouldn't even be repeating it if I was on your side of the aisle. If we're going to talk about money and intent, let's talk about the fact that Hunter Biden flew on a plane with his dad to China and got $1.5 billion after his dad took a photo with the investor. That's money. That's intent. All right. So what we're let's, seeing, let's do that. Then. What I mean, we're having illustrated here right now is, is, is obviously there's the, the, the impeachment inquiry is still very much in the political sphere. Uh, and even despite, Sarah, and I'm really fascinated by what you said earlier about this new political red line that the Trump administration has drawn on foreign policy, because it doesn't exist in the Republican Party on impeachment. And in fact, to that point, here's Congressman Jim Jordan, a, a Republican from Ohio, uh, f- one of the founding members of the Freedom Caucus, the ultra-conservative Freedom Caucus, speaking and criticizing the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff. Take a listen to Jim Jordan. They should be concerned that Adam Schiff won't let members in the room. They should be concerned that Adam Schiff won't release the transcripts. They should be concerned that next week he's got multiple depositions scheduled on the same day. How am I supposed to be at two places at one time and, and, and ask witnesses questions and see what goes on in these interviews? How is that fair in, in any way whatsoever? So that's what they should be. They should be concerned about Adam Schiff met with his staff, met with the whistleblower before they even filed the complaint. Uh, this, is what I, this is what I don't get, Roger. Why wouldn't you want these hearings public? Well, are investigations public? 
I mean, the the, the the word salad games that are being played, when in fact this is pretty easy, right? There, There's a single sentence in the Constitution that lays out the fact that the House has the power to impeach. There's absolutely no language about how that goes about. Now, we're rough, the House roughly has the indictment kind of component of this, and then the Senate has the trial. So when there's all the bedwetting about we don't get to question witnesses and all these things, that is willful ignorance about the process because the trial will happen. And Jim Jordan and the Devin Nunes's and the Mark Meadows of the world, blind obedience in grown men to me is very unseemly and it really for the most part hasn't worked out well in history these guys would literally go to a ceremony at the white house where the president was signing legislation that would eliminate their districts and these spineless characters would actually ask for the pen as a souvenir their obedience is so complete and it's troubling to me i find myself and i'll end here you know i I've spent a lot, lot of my adult life campaigning against Republicans, but at the same time, now I, in, recently I find myself advocating for a more robust Republican Party. Like, where is the fiscal discipline? Where is the, the patriotism? Where is the family values? It's all being thrown out the window for this cult uh, that worships a guy who's given more money to Pelosi, uh. Schumer, and Hillary than me. I would honestly, if I was Jim Jordan, Devin Nunes, any member of the Republican Party in the House, I would go get a manicure. I would get a massage. Why would you even try to legitimize something that is delegitimate? If you read the transcript of the quote-unquote alleged whistleblower, which was hearsay, it, it's broken up into three tranches. It will take you longer to scroll through your Amazon order than to actually read it. And what it happens is when the president was talking about the fact that the United States will always support Ukraine, that had everything to do with the fact that Angela Merkel, in a Emmanuel Macron refused to continue to enforce EU sanctions against Russia for illegally annexing Crimea. And when you look at the second part of it, when it talks about Rudy Giuliani, it's talking about the fact that Ukraine was brought into the Mueller report, into the Mueller investigation. But the democratically controlled House continues to refuse to accept the fact that there was no collusion. And the third tranche of it, when we talk more about Rudy Giuliani going over there, it's just because they're friends. They were a part of each Oof. other's lives since 9 11. That's what the transcript says. I, I, so honestly, they should just go and I, have I, I, not going to change. You guys aren't going to change each other's minds. And it's Friday and it's a beautiful <laughs> fall day. And I just got to say, the Nats are in the World Series. Did you guys see this headline about Bryce Harper? I mean, oh, so good. The I, burn I, is so good. Uh, well, <laughs> I actually know who this is. Okay. So he wished the Nats well. I guess, and I guess the Nats fans here in town, rightfully so, are... Bye, are, Felicia. Are, Take are, your $100 million. $330 million, actually. <laughs> Coming up, we're not, we'll talk a little bit more baseball, but panel stays. Sari Kim, Roger Fisk. I'm, I'm a Philly fan through and through, but I mean, uh, you got to give credit where credit's due. Go Nats. Uh, download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. He made $330 million. Bryce Harper, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. 
With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Sari Kim's here. Roger Fisk is here. A Republican strategist, Democratic strategist, respectively. Did you guys see this? Mark Zuckerberg. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg. He's defiant. Here's the headline. The headline in the New York Times. Defiant Zuckerberg says Facebook will not police political speech. So he spoke to Fox News in an exclusive interview. And he says, quote, I haven't seen a lot of data that suggests that there's negative impact. He goes on to say, quote, California is an overwhelmingly left-leaning place. That's where they're headquartered. If you look at the political donations from the tech companies, it's 90 plus percent of them go towards Democratic candidates. So I understand why people would ask the question of, are my ideas getting a fair shake? And all that I can say on this is that this is something I care deeply about. I want to make sure we can be a platform for all ideas. He goes on to say that, uh, th- that he, he believes in free speech. Sarah, you're, you're rolling your eyes here. I mean, Facebook is if, going if Sarah to— Sarah had an emoji— my would emoji would be my eyes rolling yeah. out because I, I could care less what Mike Mark Zuckerberg wants. And I think Facebook is going to be irrelevant because, you know what, at the end of the day, he is the second richest person in the world and he collects social media data without disclosures. And so I am just going to delete f- Facebook along with an entire generation who no longer believe Facebook is relevant. I mean, it's part of a larger trend of, of tech companies, regardless of, of the platform, Roger, of, of really just waking up to the the nonpartisan agreement here it's bipartisan that that something has to be done in terms of regulations to rein these folks in whether whether you're picking them for freedom of speech or for russia ads or whatever I mean, I somewhat get his posture, which is, I think, the same posture that virtually any CEO has to take, which is like, we're not giving an inch, right? Like, you you pretty much have to go out and say that. I'm not saying that in the long run that that's a smart strategy. I think it was Senator Durbin, actually, when when Zuckerberg went in front of um, maybe the Commerce Committee. And Senator Durbin's first question is like, so, Mr. Zuckerberg, what hotel are you staying at in D.C.? And and Zuckerberg was like, I don't want to tell you. And he's like, but your platform tells people what you know what I'm saying. So, like, it's it's interesting to pull back for a second. Culturally, it's very interesting to see someone of his success from the Silicon Valley world come up against the behemoth of the, the, the federal government. It's a very interesting kind of cultural clash in a lot of ways. But sooner or later, uh, I think, you know. The, the Supreme Court uh, draws a line in speech with um, what's called criminal syndicalism. It's Brandenburg versus Ohio. You can tell me if I'm right on this. But the difference is, is to say, Roger's an idiot and I hope he dies. Well, what? But, but, but then if you say, Roger walks his dog every morning at 8 a.m. and we should all get together and, yep, sorry. No, 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 I'm just saying, because I just want to keep it focused on this. Right, but some, some yeah. speech, you know, there, there is a, a case to be made for some speech being put under a microscope and dealt with. 
So, and it's interesting because Zuckerberg spoke at Georgetown University uh, earlier this week. And, and to your point, I mean, to both of your point, I don't think you guys think you agree, but you actually. No, no, do. no, we're not far yeah. off. Yeah. And, and he said, quote, I'm reading from the speech that he gave at Georgetown, quote, we don't fact check political ads. We don't do this to help politicians, but beca- we don't do this to help politicians, but because we think people should be able to say for themselves what politicians are saying. End quote. For that same reason, if content is newsworthy, we also won't take it down, even if it otherwise would conflict with some of our standards. End quote. I just, I, I know. It's I, just mushy mouthed. I don't under. I, I guess. I, I guess. I, I don't want to have an opinion, but if I if I was interviewing Mark Zuckerberg, I would ask. Okay. Well. Well. I mean, if if you're driving down the interstate in Iowa ahead of the ahead of the Iowa caucus, and there is a billboard for Joe Biden, for Donald Trump, for Tulsi Gabbard, it says paid for by the campaign or paid for by this super PAC. It should say paid for by Russia or paid for by a foreign, a hostile foreign power. If, if it was on that billboard, they would have to because there's laws in place that say disclosure for advertisements that have to be there. Ditto for newspaper ads. Ditto for other ads. Why isn't that the same disclosure for Facebook? That would be my question to Mark Zuckerberg. Coming up, one. what's on the panel's radar? Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Fascinating, though. Fascinating week for Mark Zuckerberg. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Happy Friday, folks. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. It's time now for What's on the Panel's Radar with Sari Kim, Republican strategist, attorney, and former senior advisor in the Trump administration, and Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime President Obama aide, and principal of New Day Strategy. I just want to put a period on what we were talking about earlier with social media, and I did just a quick research, and the broadbandsearch.net and medium.com did a social media survey uh, in 2019. How much time do people spend on social media in 2019? Roughly 45% of the world's population use social media with an average. Are you ready for this? This is so depressing. Sorry, that's opinion. Two hours and 23 minutes per day. I would have thought it was more. Really? (laughs) See, I've been, as as you know, Sarah, I mean, we've talked about this offline. I've I've been really on like a social media break. Right. Because I just, I just, it's too much. It's all consuming. I'm aware, obviously, you know, with the president's tweets and whatnot. Yeah. But it's just been too much. And, you know, I'm taking a breather from it um, just for now and, and just focusing on the reporting. But it's really remarkable as you have Mark Zuckerberg speaking at Georgetown up on Capitol Hill. Talking to Fox News, I mean, it's just. It's, Can I share something very yeah, quick and creepy? Of course, yeah. One uh, of not one, creepy, one, Roger. No, no, no. Creepy, <laughs> creepy. One, one, one of the <laughs> early Halloween. Hold on. One of the uh, executives of one of the big tech companies was asked, "Who is your biggest competitor?" And you know what his answer was? No. Sleep. <sighs> I like how we I both know, sighed. We're just like. That is. What's on your radar? No, that's okay. that's crazy because it is. You know, I always say to people, what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? And for a while, I'm going to be really honest. For a while, it was I would check Instagram, mm. and I don't want I don't want that to be the first thing I do right. when I open my eyes. There are, there are a million other things I would rather do first than check. You know, even Instagram. just give yourself like 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Like just, bo- bo- oh, yeah, I mean, I do other things in the morning for a right, morning right, routine, yeah, yeah. but it's like. We, it's it's bizarre. So anyway, I'm trying to break that habit. Okay, what's on your radar, Roger? Enough about me. That's too much, Kevin. Don't Sorry. take mine, Roger. Don't take I won't, mine. I won't. I won't. I won't. So I, 
I always think of the story that doesn't get told. And a couple of yes, years same. ago, um, one of the national narratives was basically the death of journalism, right? And so for good or for bad, um, the current occupant of the White House has been has brought about a renaissance in journalism and, and, and television and subscriptions and things like that. So one of the things that I've been thinking about is like, how are people planning for the day, either in a year or so or five years, when that this particular episode is over and we go back to that idea that all these major newspapers are, are failing and that viewership and things like that are plummeting you and have things my like attention that. <laughs> yeah. number exactly. one show but so it's, it used to be a big part of the national conversation now it's basically gone away because there's this renaissance in journalism but that that's waiting for all of uh, all these big publications and things like that when whenever this day is over so it'd be interesting to be privy to some of the planning because they've bought themselves another five or ten years of shelf life Interesting. That's yeah. I actually, you know, look, I, I, as Sarah, you know, I, 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 this talking about the media is not something I like to do because I mm. think there are enough reporters that do it, uh, and some who do it well, most who do not. Um, but what I'll say is, I think that there's always going to be an appetite for folks to understand what's going on in Washington D.C. That's my two cents. Uh, but I do think that 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 there that there ought to be a period of self reflection especially with how we use all the different tools in the arsenal as it relates to things like social media for how we as an industry do it. That's my soapbox. Get off my soapbox. Sorry. Sari, go. What's on your radar? Shut me up. No, no, don't <laughs> shut up. No, I I think that's actually a very profound statement. The only thing that I would say is like each of the states, the first estate, second estate, third estate, fourth estate, as they continue to cycle themselves, there'll be another cycle. So I think it'll right. be totally fine, which I agree with you. But Thank to be you. even more profound, can we just talk about the fact that the national panda, Bebe, is leaving the United States and we will not get another panda? So the Chinese and the United States have an agreement where every four years we get a fresh panda because when they're four years old, they go back home to yeah. fade away into heaven. Um, but normally we get a fresh panda. We're not, we're not getting a fresh it's panda. It's China trade war. Because the Chinese realize how desperate we are to have a big, fat thing that does nothing but eat all day. So this is, <laughs> but this is really directly linked no, to it. No, it's 100% yeah. linked to it. China was like, we're not going to give you one. It's, it's amazing. All right, so I wanted to talk a little bit about 2020, but mine is actually uh, also relating to U.S.-China trade tensions because we, there has been so much news this week. But uh, as you all know, I'm, I'm obsessed with this NBA Hong Kong story, and, and LeBron James is, is wrapped up in it. And he made comments uh, on earlier this week when asked about whether the general manager of the Houston Rockets ought to have tweeted out support for Hong Kong, which launched this entire back and forth between the U.S. and China. And uh, the NBA has a big imprint in China, and China canceled deals. So LeBron James says, quote, yes, we do have freedom of speech, but at times there are ramifications for the negative that can happen when you're not thinking about others, when you only think about yourself. So many people could have been harmed, not only financially, but physically, emotionally, spiritually, James continued. Quote, so just be careful what we tweet and what we say and what we do, even though, yes, we do have freedom of speech. I was very surprised to hear this coming from, from LeBron James. South Park dunked him. 
uh, and just really uh, criticized him for, for those comments. Lawmakers have come out against him. ESPN has been doing such incredible reporting on this. Mm. Um, and especially for someone who I think we can agree has been pretty careful and deliberate about building his public-facing right. image off the court. I mean, it comes off as a major stumble. So, the, so this is what's crazy is, is LeBron James, they were on a plane. They were departing for – for Shanghai. That's right. To go play. So That's when right. when when the general manager of the Houston Rockets tweeted this mm-hmm. tweet, they didn't have Wi-Fi. So they were like over the Pacific Ocean presumably on a plane. So they land in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. As all of this is happening, they get to their hotel. Mm-hmm. This is according to ESPN. This article is amazing. Uh, they, they land at the Ritz-Carlton where they're staying, and they were expecting to have all of these receptions and whatnot, and all of that was canceled. That's right. So I would say two things. You know how much of a sports fan I am, right? Yeah. One, the financial element. 800 million Chinese no longer can watch the NBA. And that's what he was talking about, financials. And two, King LeBron, this happened in a week. We have 13 months until November. Goodness gracious, who knows what's going to happen. It, this, this story is, is, is truly remarkable. Um, so that's what's on my radar. We didn't even get to talk about Hillary Clinton going after Tulsi Gabbard, but she gave an interview to David Plouffe uh, in which she you know, pretty much just says that Russia's candidate is, is Tulsi Gabbard. I'll leave that there. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'll be back on Monday. Thank you to Sari Kim and Roger Fisk. Always a great show with you, too. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. No more soapbox, I promise. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.